Hi, everyone. Welcome to Street Sweeper, your uh, left architecture podcast. I'm Ricardo. And I'm Will. Today, we've got a very long discussion. Yes. Uh, we're splitting it into two parts. We're going to be talking about the line. The Saudi Arabia line. I bet you heard of this somewhere before. It's a new extension on the, the London Metro that goes all the way to <laughs> Riyadh. Just connects to Riyadh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this, this is a, kind of a long episode. We, we broke it into two parts. Uh, the first one is more politics context. The second one is more architecture. So let's get down to it. Sounds good. To just it, it just it just has so much of what our problem is with architecture in it. Yeah, and it's really one of the few times you get a popular news item uh, that has such an architectural character. Right. Not like I mean, there's all kinds of infrastructure, housing issues that are in the news regularly, but this is like specifically architecture. With a capital A. Like yeah, it, yeah, it's, like it's even architecture specifically as such as it doesn't have building. <laughs> yeah. Like you, it's it's like seeing uh, something from an architecture school on the front page of the newspaper. Right, exactly. So why don't you tell us what this line is? Yeah, so the line is a project uh, in Saudi Arabia in the northwest. Um, it's a long integrated kind of infrastructure and uh, city development. It's uh, very dramatic because it's a dead straight line running sort of east-west. Right, it, it looks cool on, on, on like the map. Yeah, it's one of, those, one of those projects that could show up in a future like the Learning Channel show on stuff that's visible from space. Right, exactly. <laughs> The, the Great Wall of China and the, the, the Pyramids of Giza and the line. So when you first see The line it, is better than the Great Wall of China because it's just straight. Just straight, yeah. It's no, yeah. No, com no compromises with stupid rocks. <laughs> no, no concessions to yes. topography. <laughs> uh, so the, the line itself, I mean, it's, it's a bit vague, I guess, but it's... Uh, it's a spine of transport uh, infrastructure, and then it has uh, sort of like urban clusters distributed along it. Um, but all that kind of like uh, maybe mixed density along the line is reduced to the singular form of the line when you look at it in the in the images in the like aerial right. kind of renderings thing. So it. And it's capital, like the title of the project is The Line, all caps. Um, right. And it's important to the project that it's a straight line and not just an infrastructure corridor with development on it, like it, like a normal kind of uh, uh, infrastructure program. So a little bit of background on The Line. Um, it's part of the NEOM project, uh, which is a project for a new city in Saudi Arabia announced in 2017 by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, 
So Neom, it's it's a is a really large. I mean, there's no city there. It's in the kind of abandoned northwest, or not abandoned, but it's a like pretty much unpopulated region in the northwest. Um, pretty far away from major cities in Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's a huge area, and it's a bit confusing because it doesn't look like Neom's supposed to be an urban project itself. So it's supposed to be like a new city uh, in Saudi Arabia, but the the site actually covers ten thousand square miles. Yeah, like the, you 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 look at the thing and you see these like region in northwest Saudi Arabia near the uh, the sea, uh, basically on the other side of the Sinai, uh, and like you just look at a map of that and it has that bit highlighted and it's basically roughly the same size as a small country yeah and they just say this is a project for a new city <laughs> neon and like what, what what you mean a new city uh, is like the largest metropolis and it's it clearly some kind of diffuse mega project it's not like a city that's going to cover all of that but the idea is to have a set of infrastructural and urban uh developments that are fairly obscure uh, I, ha- yeah. I haven't seen anything that actually kind of systematizes all of all of what this neon project is in one single really what comes across ends up being the line as a kind of a great formal gesture a linear city cutting it cutting across east west yeah if you if you look up literature on neon you find some kind of vague statements and descriptions i actually read somewhere that uh that uh they're proposing it as a city 33 times larger than New York City. Right. So it, it is, I think, supposed to eventually cover the entire quadrant, the entire Neom, like, province-sized it, it would, Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if, like, the, the capital of the world after unification would just be in Saudi Arabia? This, that they're trying to found the kind of new capital. By the way, this this goes nicely. Like, did you, did you know this is something that like a student told me some time ago? I didn't know this. That um, um, Saudi Arabia, some not, not too long ago, I think it was uh, shortly after the new crown prince took over. Uh, they they wanted or they were proposing to change a kind of um, the global time zones, really? so that zero would be. Uh, instead of Greenwich, right. would be uh, Mecca. Right. Which, I mean, which, fine. I mean, okay. Uh, but it's kind of, there. You, you, you kind of see these nice sort of like large mega geopolitical angle going on. Definitely, yeah. Where uh, Bin Salman is, is kind of, like he thinks that he's, I, I, I think that, fundamental political character of bin Salman is that he doesn't understand, unlike his predecessors, that Saudi Arabia is still just fundamentally an American colony, even if it is uh, like one of the two American colonies that happen to have a lot of influence in the homeland. But uh, <laughs> uh, Well, you, we, can, we can maybe get more into the geopolitical implications later. Re, yeah, reading the, some of the literature around this, um, it really seems in some way like a strange and very concentrated alternative to the Belt and Road program. Right. As like right. a counter counter Eurasian geopolitical 
project, but instead of the the Belt and Road, which is like building massive infrastructure and productive facilities across Eurasia and and Africa, which is like this a, is just a just like building a giant Manhattan. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> just the, Wall Street. The Belt it's and Road. The Belt and Road is much larger, but it makes much more sense and it's much more feasible because it is a global infrastructure project. Yeah. Uh, instead of like this one looks more megalomaniac while being way smaller. Yeah. Because it's architecture, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look up the if you look up Neom, you won't find you can't find a master plan of Neom that describes what it is or would be as a city or until of the line. basically the line. But even the of the line, you can't really find a, a master plan of the line. No, not specifically, but at least it gives you a sense of what the urban form would be or what the organization at, at the scale of. The Neom. of a giant one uh, to ten million yeah yeah but it it the line organizes neom in some way in a way that neom itself pre-line wasn't organized there was no urban like it didn't even show you that there'd be like city on the coast and then you know things here and there and whatever uh the line cuts in such a way that maybe like a third of it is on the coast Right, because the, the coast has a little tweak there. Uh, the, the coast runs more or less roughly uh, northwest to southeast, but then there's like a little a little tweak there where, where it's basically east-west. Yeah. It's kind of facing south, and the line starts sort of along that coast and then continues into the desert, right? Yeah. Uh, so you can see that there's going to be lots of like ample, nice, expensive uh, coastline for touristic development for like a, a new mega Dubai kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be some attempt to do some, I don't know, big, big, big port areas for oil tankers and uh, uh, cruise ships because those are mm-hmm. the only two economies that they, they will manage to, to, to put there probably. Um and then the, the other two thirds of the line are just going into the desert, and it's unclear what they're doing. You read some stuff about like there, there is they have a kind of a nice list of uh, of what they want to achieve with it, right? Like it, it feels very abstract, but then but then they talk about basically they want the line to have everything. It's a new everything, yeah. right? They talk about new lifestyles, but they also talk a little bit about kind of economic functions of this new town. Although again. It, it's obvious that only the touristy uh, financial sector uh, areas are the ones that are actually going to be developed. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't, I mean, unlike a typical uh, infrastructure project, it, it doesn't have anything at each end of the terminus, like at each end of yeah, the yeah, line. Yeah. yeah, Like it goes, I mean, it goes from the coast of the Red Sea in, in a point where, like there is a lot of shipping on its way to the Mediterranean via the Suez. Um, but yeah, but the Suez, runs, Suez is on the other side of the Sinai. It yeah, it's out there. of the way, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on the Jordan uh, River. And, and, unless the Crown Prince plans to like annex <laughs> yeah. the border between Egypt and Israel, uh, they can't really replace the Suez <laughs> with something of the same. Yeah geopolitical economic scale uh but then the line yeah runs inland from there uh it goes through the mountains uh which are pretty rugged 
and it admits that that's going to be a kind of under occupied part of the line but it still goes through them in a straight like rigidly straight line for some reason like you don't know like they they talk about uh agriculture in the desert which maybe uh they talk about some kind of manufacturing they they, they have a list of things right Claire. they even mention specifically um high-end uh uh, like medical technology production and stuff. Yep. Like they're just gonna do masks for <laughs> the <whole> planet. There, <laughs> it's gonna become vaccine central after the for the next pandemic. Yeah, if if you follow if you follow the line uh, east, uh, the nearest Saudi city to its eastern end is Tabuk. All right, uh, which is not actually that close to the end but it's it's some ways further inland so after it crosses the mountains it gets into the inner mm -hmm, mm -hmm. inner valley um uh but then beyond and tabuk is a fairly big city it's like six hundred thousand mm -hmm. something um and there's a big military base there there's a big military base everywhere you know, like, or in other words like <laughs> saudi arabia is a big military base <laughs> but tabuk has the biggest military base uh -huh. in saudi arabia um, but then beyond that, there's nothing. It basically is it a range of uh, Houthi drones. <laughs> the 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 rationale basically says that the line connects to Tabuk and beyond into the rest of the world. But beyond means basically through the central, like unoccupied desert in the middle of Saudi Arabia, and then beyond that, there's like. Bad, yeah, I mean, bad, like they, a long obviously way they, they have this kind of strong rhetoric of connectivity, but obviously the yeah. line is not in itself an infrastructure project of connecting right. anything. Exactly. They, it will be, it will have a big harbor probably. It will have a big international airport for sure. But the line is a city, like it's a dot. It's it's a line, but it's still at a geopolitical scale. It's a dot on the map. Yeah. It's a city uh, that uh, is going to have an airport and a port, and people use that airport to go to that city and f away from that city, not as like, and the port, the port isn't even particularly well strategically located. Like it's competing with, it, it, the port is, 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 is the Suez Canal. Um, so maybe it will become a big uh, petrol uh, uh, tanker uh, docking area for Saudi oil, but they already have that all over the yeah. place. I mean, it's not if, close to oil production. If there, if is, there is an actual function, it's not close to oil production, but if there is an actual function, an actual real economic function behind this, is that port is going to be connected by a, via some kind of uh, uh, oil uh, pipes, pipeline, pipeline yeah. to like cutting across to uh, the eastern side where oil production is of Saudi Arabia and. Uh, uh, other and, and the, the the other Saudi uh, the other Arabian kingdoms, um, and uh, they are going to want to have a tanker port that isn't in the Persian Gulf to be better protected from Iranian uh, mm. blockades. If if there is an actual right. geopolitical function in this thing, is so that the finally the Americans can invade Iran. Which obviously will completely this will just end the use of the Persian Gulf uh, for any commercial tanker 
uh, activity. Uh, yeah. So it's pro possibly in preparation for that. But that's 10 years down the line. <laughs> yep, down the line. That may be the, the thing. It's actually a military project. Mm. Well, uh, as far as the, the internal or like the public rationale for the, for the Lime um, and for Neom in general, they both fit within a larger uh, Saudi program called Vision 2030, which was announced uh, by MBS Mohammed bin Salman in 2016, which is basically uh, a, a plan for the transition of the Saudi economy away from uh, oil production and towards financial and services sectors. So basically following Dubai's model right. of transitioning from oil to finance services and sector. services. Yeah. It's, yeah, if, um, service sector is always... Yeah, and this, 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 this really is kind of um, why you know that this project is mostly uh, fiction. Hmm. It, probably something will happen there. Actually, this idea of the, the oil tank, but again, the, the real project, the real line that matters there is, is not this one, is the, uh, the oil pipeline that would connect this to the oil fields. Um, through across uh, central Saudi Arabia. But if, um, apart from that, everything they talk about here on kind of this desire that Arabian oil economies have been having for some time now of, of finding a way to diversify their economy so that they are not only dependent on exporting oil, the problem with that is that they don't actually ever want to diversify the economy. There is no fundamental desire because there is no geopolitical context within which they, they can do that. Diversifying the economy means more than services sector. So, but because they're part of the neoliberal Western economic bubble, the only logic of development is through services sector. And services sector in these cases always means, one, uh, always means two things. Tourism, which is not a national development uh, source. Like, it's not a source of national development of an economy. Uh, and real estate speculation, usually associated with tourism, like you, but, but with a certain degree of autonomy. The problem there is that, and to see if I can kind of explain this in layman's terms, the economy of the Arabian kingdoms functions through export of oil, yes, but it's a specific form of oil export, which is the, what they export is petrodollars, uh, or rather what they import in exchange for the, uh, the uh, oil export is petrodollars. These are economies which function in dollars. Sure, they have their own currency, but yeah. it doesn't, doesn't matter. The, their, the, the currency is dollars. Their, their source of income is to import dollars. Um, and the dollars that they import are st structurally connected to the amount of oil they export to the, such to the point that the dollar as an international currency is indexed to the value of oil. 
historically, since uh, at a certain point it was indexed to how much gold there was inside Fort Knox, uh, yeah. and they got rid of that at some point and decided that uh, the gold standard was going to go away and they can just explode the amount of dollars that was circulating in the global economy, transforming, gold, uh, transforming the dollar into the international uh, currency of exchange as part of like basically the financial side of American imperialism. Yeah. And they indexed it away from Fort Knox and replaced Fort Knox with basically Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the new Fort Knox. Saudi Arabia and the other, um, and the UAE and uh, et cetera. Their entire economy is based on being for the Fort Knox of the current global petrodollar, right? And they want to find, they diversifying the economy would require something that means that they are no longer dependent on the petrodollar. Real estate speculation is dominated by the Anglo-American dollar-based financial uh, sector. Yeah. Therefore, it's just another way, other than oil, of importing petrodollars. And the tourist sector, at the same time, also functions as a way of importing petrodollars. Although I'm going to guess they can get some Chinese and Russian uh, tourists as well. But uh, there's plenty of Russian and Chinese magnates that would uh, probably appreciate like, appreciate it going to Dubai to those kind of insane, crazy, shapey hotels and stuff, right? But that. But right now, even even. Uh Russian and Chinese tourists would be using their American dollars that they're oh, also yes. forced yes, to. Yes, 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 which, of which they have a significant reserve, yes. Yeah. Um, so they, there is no diversifying of the economy. When, we are, when someone talks about diversifying the economy for real, when talks about it's always in the context of a post-colonial country like all of the Arabian countries, um, which aim is to become independent and economically sovereign from the global colonial system of trade in which all they do is export uh, cheap stuff, yeah. even if it's oil, it's a raw material, it's not a processed good, and import and, with, and get the international currency of exchange of a colonial center with which they then buy the manufactured goods. So also the, from outside. Also outside, from, yeah. from the imperial center usually, yeah. although the imperial center itself has now tra transferred its manufacturing to Asia, but that's another issue. Um, it's still Western-controlled uh, companies that are just exploiting free, uh, cheaper labor. Uh, but the point being, diversifying the economy means developing a manufacturing sector for your own country, uh, developing self-sufficiency in terms of, for example, food. Food self-sufficiency yeah. is always extremely important when we're talking about diversifying the economy. Like when, when Venezuela, which is also an economy dependent on oil exports, or a Russia, which is also an economy dependent on oil and natural gas experts, um, they, when they talk about diversifying their economy, they're actually talking about developing a manufacturing sector, replacing imports with national uh, production, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Russia has been very successful in doing that ever since uh, the United States invented the last massive row of sanctions around the Syria slash Ukraine thing. And Russia has diversified its economy aggressively at a very fast pace, usually through large-scale public uh, investment. Um, Venezuela has been less successful because it has less resources and more, more complicated, but it's trying to do the, what 
objectively constitutes the diversification of the economy. The uh, Cuba, Arabian Cuba, countries... Cuba and Nicaragua are also good examples of food yes. sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think Nicaragua didn't yes. have that yes. uh, in the 80s when they were... Cuba, famously, food sovereignty was like priority number one. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about diversification of the economy in Dubai for example, which is the pre-version of this, the proto-version. It was already an insane... You, we all, you all know what Dubai was, right, uh, dear listeners? <laughs> like, uh, when they were not only creating a new town of basically entirely constituted of slave labor-made hotels, uh, they were also kind of invading the sea by constructing these kind of islands where everyone would, like, buy, like, in the shape of, like, a, shape of a gigantic palm tree uh, yeah. projecting into the Persian Gulf. And then they did another one, which was the shape of the globe, of, of like planet Earth, of like an atlas. And, uh, and each person, each magnate, each world transnational trillionaire could buy a country, uh, yeah, yeah. which was an island of sand. It's an arch architecturalization of oligarchic yeah. ownership. So people were saying how this was completely insane and just kind of out of, etc. in Dubai. Dubai is a, sh a mere shadow of what the, the line is, but Dubai failed. Dubai did not function as a source of diversification of the economy. Uh, it had to be, it, it effectively, it was a, Dubai was a financial product. It was, it, it, obviously it had tourist income, but tourist income is not a real thing that propels an economy uh, for real. Uh, get your mind all out of that kind of drug. Um, it didn't have anything other than that and real estate speculation, the financial bubble, it was part of the financial bubble, the same financial bubble that crashed in 2008 with Lehman Brothers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Dubai crashed and had to be bailed out by the oil economy. Right. Because it was just more petrodollars. It's just replacing petrodollars from one side to another. It, doesn't, it does not constitute economy as such. Right. And this is going to go the same way. I mean, you look at this and you see exactly, you look at Dubai, you look at this, you see exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, and, if, and in the Vision 2030 uh, documents, you see, I mean, this is, this is a plan developed uh, starting in 2016, but it's basically repeating exactly the 2008 crash. Uh, like, they're, they're just running the same model back that led to, to yep. the 2008 crash. Yep. So they talk about increasing the size of financial assets to GDP, so increasing the centrality of finance to the to yep. the economy. That's always a good solution for diversifying a neoliberal economy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they talk about increasing the share of mortgages in bank financing um, <laughs> to 16% by 2020 from the 2016 level of 7%. Did they, get, did they, did they do it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have no idea. I doubt it. Um, no, actually, I'm sure they did. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the line, so the line is kind of strange here. I mean, in the housing program uh, for Vision 2030, they talk about increasing Saudi home ownership. I mean, this reads basically like uh, Thatcherite plans from the from the eighties. But then the housing had already been built, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> The new towns had already been built by the the labor governments. Yeah, uh, it was just a matter of privatizing them. Yeah. Yeah, so um, there is a plan supposedly to build housing uh, and to 
increased the percentage of home ownership among Saudi citizens to 60%. I don't know what it is right now. There's actually something in here about decreasing the price per unit of housing. There's only one way they can do that, right? Like if they want to raise uh, living standards for Saudi citizens, the only way to do that with uh, the Saudi economy, um, I mean, I'm saying this because home ownership implies that they want to like lift people to the middle class. Right. Um, the only way to do this in an economy like the Saudis is to basically just like go and steal from someone else. Like it's the only way. They 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 don't produce wealth. Again, they only all they do is import petrol dollars. So they they need to kind of. I mean, either the ruling class of Saudi Arabia is just going to do a large-scale welfare program and give up on part of its wealth and give it to the people so that they can buy their homes and therefore, which is just not going to happen. Uh, that's not the kind of progressivism Bin Salman uh, embodies and advertises. Um, well, the problem is even if they did invest in demand in the in the national economy that demand would still be for externally produced goods and it wouldn't actually create an economy. Yes. No, no, and it is very clear that even when they talk about manufacturing and stuff in the line, it's, it, it always means uh, foreign investment, in attracting foreign investment with favorable tax uh, and yeah. labor uh, regulations. So no taxes and no salaries. That's, right. that's what they're offering to attract. Right. So, which is the opposite, by the way, of diversifying the economy, because diversifying the economy always needs to mean that you're constructing a national economy which requires a national purchasing power. Now, again, I go back to my point. The only way they can raise a national purchasing power, for example, which is implied when they say raising rates of home ownership, transforming everyone into kind of a petty bourgeois middle class, in Saudi Arabia, all Saudi citizens, is that they need to replace Saudi citizen labor with immigrant slave labor. Like, I mean, it's, not, it's not like literal slave labor, but effectively with the, 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 the geopolitical context they construct, and they have been investing it for a while, is to have a vast pool of incredibly cheap, desperate people willing to accept unbelievable labor conditions uh, yeah. for basically no pay, and then subject it to like absolutely draconian immigration uh, rules that guarantee like total control yeah. over their lives um yeah it's a dynamic that you see in in europe and the uk with distressed oh yes labor from eastern europe uh forced to migrate for work on lower wages than the than the local oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. workers yeah, yeah and, and often not be not given uh kind of permanent contracts or long-term contracts they work not even on like contracts especially when you build in the like construction industry uh you're given a contract for like a task a thing that you're a pro yeah. thing you're going to work on and that thing is over you don't have a kind of a continuous employment that guarantees your work visa which means that you're going to be kicked out uh back to your home country uh yeah but it, it in europe it tends to be a kind of market dynamics that establish this like private uh employers but in uh, like in Saudi Arabia and in uh, countries uh in the countries of the region like the construction of Dubai this is like strictly coordinated by the central government yeah right i was actually watching just the other day i was watching uh the anthony bourdain cooking travel show uh this one set in dubai <laughs> And they talk, they, they actually is, uh, 
I mean, the politics of that show are, are terrible. Right. We don't need to get into I don't that think, right no. now. Um, but let's do let's do an episode. <laughs> but in this in this example, you can tell it, me it begins with the premise that the people who live in Dubai, Dubai are a small minority um, uh, Emirati citizens, then a larger group of uh, like white collar expat labor, mostly like from from the West, and then a vast majority of uh, unskilled labor imported from South Asia, and that they have, uh, yeah, the, exactly what you're saying, the government has strict controls on visas that allow them to uh, limit the amount of labor that comes in, keep unemployment down by basically just expelling people when their jobs are through, uh, and keeping them uh in this kind of strict leash. Now, all that wasn't explained in the show. Right. But there was a nice moment in the show where no he was kidding, having... No Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to kind of like do a bit more research. But uh, And actually the show makes it seem like a great deal for these people that they get to have, have work because, you know, working class people are just desperate for for the for, for uh, jobs to be handed to them. And I'm sure they have a lovely, like lively uh, living community. in their like local community in oh, their yes. shanty town and they have all, lots of wonderful street food made of like exactly. maggots. Uh, and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that but Anthony you... Bourdain can then show up and like experience as exactly. a first world f- geopolitical flanner. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> At one point though, he's having lunch with a British banker who is Are they basically eating the no, they're eating like um Gordon Ramsay a beef wellington or some shit, some like posh British food. And the and the British banker is is you know, Bourdain is giving his liberal critique of Dubai to the banker. Uh and the banker is uh, you know, defending Dubai and basically saying that Europe should follow the same model. Uh which Which it's, it is it's ambiguous what it means. But I think in this context, it basically means an even stricter uh, suppression of external labor and and uh, and a more draconian neoliberal labor market. Yeah, it means it means more immigration, but more reduction of migrants to closer and closer and closer and closer to basically conditions of borderline slavery. Yeah. It's it's the right arg- right wing corporate argument for uh, open borders, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and that's exactly the point. Uh, we know that Dubai was built like that, right? Um, and the like mass of shanty towns around these kind of wonderful hotels uh, that are all financial holes that had to be bailed out by oil money, but. Well, like, also, I, th- I think the crucial point, like that's missing from the show or from like a popular perception. You're still talking about of, Bourdain. Well, I just I think this this helps to clarify something. <laughs> no, this is good. This is good because because I think what's missing, like the the middle class person who introduces Bourdain to this uh, you know diverse immigrant community in Dubai, uh, who is basically saying that it provides a livelihood for workers who need to come here to get work. And that if you go to India, people want to come to Dubai to work. Like that functions as an apology for Dubai. Right. But the the missing ingredient is that people need to migrate for work because of conditions being terrible, being where, they terrible where they live. And that is, that is caused exactly by the people 
who then import them as yes. cheap labor. Yeah. And in the case of uh, Saudi Arabia and its geopolitical presence in the area, I mean, this is absolutely obvious and aggressively clear. Like, Saudi Arabia has been uh, involved for decades in a global, in a kind of a, a large-scale regional project associated with global American imperialism to effectively blow up every other country in the region so as to, number one, be the dominating economy, uh, uh, be, uh, and number two, have a, a vast pool of desperate borderline free labor or composed of uh, war refugees. And, 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 and lately we've, I mean, I hope our dear listeners have uh, heard of the war in Yemen, yeah. which is a country that exists uh, south of Saudi Arabia, bordering it um, on the southern corner of the Arabian Peninsula. It's pretty big. Um, and uh, it has millions of people in it, and it has been going through an absolutely devastating war that uh, the Saudis have imposed on it with strong support of its NATO allies, where we, our uh, its NATO allies, have been kind of cluster bombing schools and civilians, <laughs> like, and effectively, uh, more than that, creating a kind of a, what, usually, what is usually talked about is uh, in the UK, it's that we are selling cluster bombs to Saudi Arabia for for use in, in uh, Yemen, in the US. It's that actually actual American military officers are coordinating uh, Saudi, mm. uh, Saudi military activity, particularly air, airstrikes, and also imposing a gigantic uh, medieval siege uh, on Yemen so that nothing can be imported into, into the country. Uh, so everyone is starving to death because, of course, Yemen is not food sovereign um, and has been starving to death for quite a while and continues. Uh, I mean, this is a Saudi project, a colonial Saudi project, which aim is to create a desperate labor pool of uh, people that can go and then build the line for free for them. I mean, it, 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 you can't separate these types of situations. Yeah. And of course, like the, 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 the war in Libya, the war in Syria, uh, American military presence throughout uh, the Middle East in general cannot be separated from these, the, these things. All of it is that. I mean, this is the pool of labor where uh, they are going to get their uh, construction workers. And, th and then their house servants, their people to make the beds in the hotels. No, 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 no. Ah, there's a, cla line, a class distinction. There will not be... Uh, is this going to be automated? They're going to be robots. Or <laughs> yes, 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 of course. <laughs> Fully automated luxury uh, capitalism. Neo-feudalism. Fully automated luxury house servants. Fully automated luxury neo-feudalism. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and uh, just, to, just to maybe talk more about the architecture of the line, uh, you can see sections of it um, with uh, like, um, you know, the un underground, you've got the trains, you've got yeah. some sort of like piping, you've got the yeah. heavy, heavy transit infrastructure. Then there is a another layer, which is not not necessarily subterranean, but it's uh, like a basement, which is the service layer, which is drawn with like trucks, uh, transiting tr transporting goods locally, um, and then above that you have the utopian uh, uh, served layer with. Basically, no no trucks, no cars, trees, people, uh, everything's pedestrian-oriented, blah, blah. 
But this stratification also suggests this kind of labor stratification hmm. uh, that maybe we're talking about. I mean, the cross-section looks like... Uh, that's like the only technical drawing you can see. Yeah, I think that's the only You can find in the whole thing. Like, it's just like the section of the, inf the infrastructure spine. Uh, there's some... You, you can see some cars there, right? Like, there's like a... In that mid-layer, in that service layer, yeah. which is like underground... under. It's like a basement, um, and there are trucks. Yeah, but there's also it's all supposed to be automated. Yeah. Like there's an explicit argument yeah. that um, this is all going to be robot paradise. Um, there's going to be no driving. Hol hol hologram teachers. Hologram teachers. Yeah. Hologram doctors. I want one of those. No robot robot doctors. Robot doctors, not hologram doctors. <laughs> They need to operate on you. They need to do, test your reflexes. Okay, I, I just wanted a Star Trek, but that's okay. Um, the, the, in, uh, in, in, in the Star Trek, the holograms can can have like have, substance. They, yeah, they have normal force. Yes. Uh, the um, the um, but but the whole rhetoric, uh, which I, by the way I find it completely hilarious. Like the whole the the logic of this, like Bin Salman uh, comes up as like big modernizer. Women can now drive in Saudi Arabia. Woohoo! Uh, next step: eliminate cars. <laughs> <laughs> no more driving. <laughs> uh, fully automated uh, city. I mean, by the way, it, it, have you seen anything? Like you, you've gone through more documentation than me. Did you? Did you see anything about like a protocol with Tesla to like use the line as a like an experiment on the automated uh, driving driven? Self-driving cars? I, I didn't see anything about that. That's a very good question. Uh, I didn't see any. I think that in the. Um, oh man, I I, ju I just see Musk all the way in, into these right. tunnels. Right. <laughs> you 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 smell the. I Musk can smell. Yes. <laughs> the tunnels. Musk is emanating from the sewers. from the ventilation shafts. There was with Neom. There was. Uh, an agreement with Richard Branson, uh, a virgin, that he would oversee, I think, three seafront resorts. Okay. And then after the uh, Khashoggi mm -hmm. uh, murder. Walking. Um, <laughs> quote, unquote, disappearance. <laughs> uh, Branson kind of broke off his... Uh, oh. like. The, the, there's $500 billion out of the Saudi... Um, principled, what the principled um, man. <laughs> sovereign wealth fund going into NEOM. Half a trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. and, but on top of that, they're soliciting a lot of foreign investment. Obviously. Yeah, of course, that's the point. Um, Those are the dollars they want to import. Yeah. Uh, but it's not clear after the Khashoggi thing who is interested in being involved in that explicitly. Everyone. Uh, yeah. Everyone. <laughs> just not explicitly yeah for, for maybe for now but yeah give exactly it, for it now little... for now there may not be any of these uh like celebrity endorsement publicity programs which of course are what matters so they'll it, have to get uh, back and this to is them. one of the funniest <laughs> things because all of this this is like the uh the whole thing about this the whole propaganda the whole rhetoric and image is like tech sector uh, mogul paradise and tech sector moguls are american democratic party liberal who needs to be opposed to the khashoggi thing like that it's this is not this is not for the Koch brothers to send money to 
right? <laughs> the Koch no, brothers. but they did have. They do have country music concerts. The Koch brothers are, are are actually their rivals. This is actually the funny part. It's the American liberals that like the Saudis because the Republicans, like the millionaire uh, oil uh, magnates in America, tend to go Republican, and it's the non. Uh, oil, non-American oil sector billionaires that tend to go Democrat. Mm. So the sector of the American billionaires that likes Bin Salman is the Democrat side. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Cook brothers do not fund Saudi Arabia. They're in competition for the same market. Okay, so that's going to conclude part one <laughs> of the line. In part two, uh, we're going to leave, leave behind some of these political and economic takes and look more at the architecture, uh, how it relates to the kinds of stuff you see in architecture schools right now and kind of famous projects in, in architecture. Yeah, like for us, this, like when you're in the field of architecture, right, like this, this looks kind of familiar uh, in a way that the kind of a political takes and readings of, of, of the line uh, are kind of just they look at it and kind of see it as nonsense in the context of the reality of what Saudi regime. For us, it's a bit more complicated than that because we see this project every year on the wall of the exhibition, right? Yeah, so the, while it's kind of an absurd megalomaniacal project, it's also a, a pretty banal project yeah. in some ways. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to, yeah, in part two, we're going to go into some of that. Where that banality can basically comes from. Yeah, yeah. So join us then. Yep. See ya. <laughs>